Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you that we can gather in a place that's free. Free to worship the way we want, free to understand the word of God and look at it. And Lord, we just give you the praise, the honor, and the glory today for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the last time I was up here, we did uh, Exodus chapter 1. I was talking to Pastor Bill about that. I said, hey, I'm going to do Exodus chapter 2 this week. And he says, that's good. Because in about 15 to 18 years, you'll finish the book (laughs) on the number of times you come up. So he's got a good sense of humor. Um, The last time we met in chapter 1, the nation of Israel is in captivity. And they're growing and growing and growing And God is blessing them. He's blessing their cattle. He's blessing them as people. He's blessing everything about them. And the Pharaoh sees this and he doesn't like it. Doesn't like it at all. So he has to do something about it. And he thinks he can take it into his own hands and undo what God is doing. But as we know, our God is an awesome God. And you cannot undo anything that God wants to do as a human being. So the understanding of Exodus is really uh, significant in the knowledge of the nation of Israel because, you know, it, it, it gives you the, uh, the instruction on how things come together, how things fit together. So I'm going to start at the last verse in chapter 1, the last verse. And that says, then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, uh, you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you are to keep alive. So he thinks he can kill off this generation of young people and throw them in the water. Every son who is born, you know, at the minute they're born, they're going to end up in the Nile River. Um, the nature of death would be uh, drowning them in the Nile. And why would he pick the Nile? Because the Nile was one of their gods. And they had a god for the Nile. And uh, so it, it would look to the people like he's appeasing them, like he's showing them that he's trying to be in charge. So this final verse in chapter 1 leads us directly into the story of Moses. And what we're going to look at is the birth of Moses. And the key word here is Preparation the preparation of Moses to eventually lead the nation of Israel out of captivity into the wilderness and into the promised land. And this is something for all of us. When God, when we take our Lord as our Savior, um, he immediately, or maybe even years before that, when you were born, he started working in your life. And sometimes you don't realize that, but it happens. But once that commitment is made, God is saying, hey, trust in me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in me for everything, and I'll show you the path, I'll show you the way. So in verse 1 now, we're going to see the introduction of Moses being born. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, that's a key word, she had hid him for three months. So he's three months old at this point in time. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. 
And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. So she was watching out for her little brother. The story of Moses begins now with the mention of his parents. They're both Levi's, part of the priesthood of the nation of Israel. In fact, Moses' father married his own aunt, which was permitted in those days. A lot of things have changed over the years. In verse 2, we see that the mother gives birth to a son. So there's immediately, you know, a fear that she's going to lose a son because of the edict by the Pharaoh. Immediately, she notices something special about him, unique about this baby. Now, every mother loves their baby beyond belief. It doesn't matter. Uh, This is the most beautiful baby in the world to a mother is her baby. And it's the same way for a dad, but I think a mother is a little bit closer, especially at birth at that point in time. But the text says he was beautiful, but the word in Hebrew is tov, T-O-V, which has a wide variety of meanings. And it can mean beautiful or favorable. It can also mean worthy or pleasing as in pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So we know every mother thinks her son is beautiful. Um, and now she knows she has to take care of him and she's willing to give him up in the chance that he can live. So Hebrews tells us by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of him. They were going to follow the Lord. After three months, Moses' mother resorts to a desperate act. She places him in a basket, a form of an ark, just like Noah's ark. And she put pitch on the outside, just like Noah did on the, on the, on the ark that saved the eight people from drowning and uh, destruction. So she places him in the ark. And it's ironic that Moses would be put into the very place where the lives of the other young boys are being taken, in the river That's the the vehicle of what Pharaoh is using to drown these kids. Sometimes God will give us a way to go that doesn't seem quite right. But if we pray about it and we have peace about it and we take the next step, he's going to bless it. And that's what he's going to do with her. It wouldn't seem that it was a good move, but it's going to turn out to be a great move. Uh, We don't know what she expected to happen. Uh, So Moses' sister Miriam stands at a distance and watches the goings-on after putting him in the reeds. Now, this is a place that Pharaoh's daughter comes and bathes, maybe every day. So maybe they knew that, you know, and they were going to put this baby close by. So this woman, as we know, without a child, would see it or hear it and take take it into her family. So even at this early point in the story, we see a couple of important things or themes of Exodus going. First, Exodus is a story of God's sovereignty. He does what he wants to do. He's a sovereign God. He doesn't need me or you or anybody else helping him out. He can, he can get his things done very easily without us. We've already reflected on God's sovereignty in um, Chapter 1, when he brought the nation of Israel into captivity. Why did he do that? 
so they would be away from the Canaanites and the Jebusites and all the other ites, and that they would be influenced by them. They would be separated in Egypt so that they would have their own faith and their own power, even though they were slaves. They made out pretty well because God blessed them. They had an abundance of family, and we'll find out later that when they left this country, those scholars say there was probably two million people, women and children and dads, and all the cattle that left, you know, all the different things that had to be taken with them. God was working with them. And the Egyptians are seeing this, and they don't like it. They're becoming afraid of, uh, afraid of them. So now we see God beginning the work of bringing Israel out of slavery. This young little man is going to be the key figure in that a little ways down the road. So this is the first step is the prep, uh, preparation of a, a deliverer. He's going to begin to prepare Moses from the day he's born till the day he goes home from Mount Nebo 120 years later. He's in his life continuously. So we see, see this work going on. And God intends to raise up a man of prominence and stature among the Hebrews, a man who can handle the Egyptians. So what does he do? He picks a man, a, a, a man that knows both cultures. His mother was, uh, you know, taking care of him till he was the age of five. She probably instructed him a little bit on the on the Hebrew faith and the understanding. So, um, so what do we see? We see the beginnings of. Uh, the education and the hands-on of someone that's going to be one of the greatest men in the history of the nation of Israel, like Abraham, um, Moses, and King David. And um, in Matthew three uh, two fourteen, it says, So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother when he was still at night and, for Egypt, and uh, left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets out of Egypt. I call my son. So there's a, there's a parallel here with, with Jesus and with Moses. One was called to deliver the nation of Israel. And then the next one, Jesus, the true deliverer, was called to deliver the nation of Israel later in Scripture. So... Um, Jesus remained away in Egypt till the death of Herod. And uh, when he was uh, in Israel as a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So in the thought of that, you know, Jesus being the example later on as, as it's led to that way. And right now is the beginning of this whole process, is to take a person by the name of Moses and bring him along. So Exodus uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. Uh, verse 6, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. So she probably heard his voice. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. She recognized him. Maybe the swaddling clothes, maybe whatever was on him. She recognized him as a Hebrew. So Pharaoh's daughter, uh, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, 
Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Because Pharaoh's daughter couldn't do it. She hadn't been pregnant or anything like this. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. So it was a, you know, it wasn't any accident that this happened this way. You know, who would be the perfect one to take care of Moses? But his own mother. And she was blessed that way too. So for her faithfulness, God rewarded her in that way to carry out the things that he had put her in, in, in her heart. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you uh, your wages. She even gets paid for this. It's amazing. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew. And, you know, all this time she's nursing him, she's talking to him, I'm sure. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she adopted him as her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So since it's God's plan to see Moses set afloat in the Nile, naturally God has prepared the perfect person to receive him, his own mother. The daughter of the Pharaoh also was having bathing in the Nile, which was a common practice. So she heard the voice. She heard the crying. What's the first thing a mother does when she hears a crying baby? She picks him up. She consoles him. She embraces him. So important right now is a little bit of the history of, of Egypt. Uh, the, the woman that p- took him, uh, picked him up is Hashaput. She's the daughter of Tutmos I, the son of Amenhotep. At the time she finds Moses, uh, Hashpatat's father, uh, the I, has just inherited the throne. And later her father will take a second wife and, a father, and, and have an heir. But this name, M-O-S-E-S, if you'll notice, um, the, uh, the pharaoh is Tutmos, M-O-S-E. And the, the ending of that word is the word Moses. And the beginning of it is some type of thing. They don't know exactly what it is, but they surmise that it's some kind of a pagan word that goes along with it, like a god or something like that. So Moses didn't get his name by mistake. She took that name because it would be part of the family name. And he's going to be part of this family, so he's going to be recognized as Moses. And actually, he probably had a a little hyphen before his name or whatever. He probably had another first name with Moses probably being his middle name, but they referred to him as Moses. So his first name would have been something pagan, but it's not addressed in scripture. This is kind of conjecture on the part of a lot of the, the Bible scholars. So even Miriam is involved in this selection process. She, she doesn't go and say, do you want to taste this child? She asks her the question, do you want somebody to nurse this child? Much more positive way, thinking you've got to find somebody to take care of him. And in that way, the response came back from um, Pharaoh's daughter that she would take this child. So in verse 10, Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. So now the story of Moses jumps forward from his birth to a moment 40 years later. In verse 11, 
He now has had 40 years of preparation towards the ultimate service that this Lord will call him in. 40 years of being a prince in the house of Pharaoh. He knows he's educated. He dresses like them. He cuts his hair like them. He looks like them. He is them. Okay? Except the difference is that God's going to work in his heart and God's going to change his heart to look to the people that he came from. And that begins the next portion of this. So um, now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labor. Something made him look on the hard labor. Well, one of the things was with this new regime that was about to happen and his mother died, he was about to be pushed to the curb. Okay? So what was going to happen to him, he didn't know. So the next thing in line is this new pharaoh would come in, and he figured he was out the door the minute the pharaoh came in. So this is the opportunity that God used to work in his heart and have him question some things. And maybe he saw the people out there for the first time, the men and the women being, you know, pushed and slaved and and doing things that the uh, Egyptians wanted them to do. So now that it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and took and looked on their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that no one was around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He kills the man. He didn't start out to do that, but that's what happened. So now we're told... Uh, that Moses went out to his brothers, meaning the Hebrew slaves, and he's there to observe or take notice what's going on. God's working in his heart. Say, go look at those guys. Go look at those women. Go look at what's going on with your children of your nation. And he's out there looking at it, and it stirs his heart. He gets angry. So at this point, Moses decides to act in defense. He's going ahead of God's plan. God didn't tell him to do that. At this particular point in time, he's doing it on his own. He's stepping out. He's taking, well, I can take care of this. I don't see where he went and asked the Lord. It's like us. You know, we come, uh, we come to the Lord. We go into study with the pastor. We do classes. We go to discipleship. We do a lot of different things to understand what the word of God says and how it can be presented to us in a way that we understand it. And then at some point in time, we think, well, we're ready to go, do something. We don't know exactly what it is, but we decide we just go and do it. We haven't heard the voice of the Lord saying, I want you to do this. We get out ahead of the Lord, and that's what he's doing. He's got to, getting out ahead of God's plan. The moment we get out ahead of God's plan, we're in trouble. I can tell you that by practical, known experience on my own. Happened many times, too many times. And then... You know, it's a detour off the road that the Lord put put us on. And you take a sidebar, you take a side road, and it looks pretty good, and all of a sudden things begin to happen, and eventually the Lord brings you back onto the main road again in his will and his way. So he, he gets ahead of them, and the scene raises more questions than it answers. Moses could have visited the Hebrews any day in his years out there, And if he had made such a visit, he probably would have seen the same scene played out over the last 40 years of his life. But 
An Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew would have been common. This has been happening for many, many, many years. Long before Moses was born, it was happening. So why does Moses take this action at this point? Um, In Hebrews, it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He woke up. I'm a Hebrew. His mother had passed away. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He saw something greater. He was beginning to see God's plan. So the the Hebrew uh, says that Moses reached a point where by faith he repudiated his identity as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the decision uh, carried significant implications. It meant setting aside a life of luxury, a life of power. He would no longer have access to the wealth of Egypt. You know, he probably had anything he wanted. Probably had a Lamborghini or, you know, whatever he had at that time. Or the, or the chariot version of the Lamborghini. We were looking at that on Saturday morning, the different chariots. And I don't know how people know this unless there's something in history. But they had different models of them and they all looked different. And some of them were really elite, just like we have cars today. You know, we have beautiful cars and then we have the vehicle I drive. You know, that kind of thing. So this is probably the moment that Moses dropped the first part of his name. That's what, you know, they think. And the part referring to the Egyptian god of the Nile. And by dropping this now, he was making his commitment to the God that he should be following. So why did Moses take the step? Because, as I mentioned before, things change. And he had a different ruler. Things were going to be different. So, um, obviously, Moses was closely associated with his mother. And he knew that he was especially vulnerable once the new leader came in. So it was only a matter of time before he was going to be thrown out. But those circumstances were orchestrated by who? By God. And Moses' faith led him to choose God's people over Egypt. There was a decision-making place then. This is preparation. This is God preparing the heart, preparing the soul, preparing the mind for the next thing or maybe the next of many things that will happen before the ultimate Thing that God has called to a person's life. So every walk of obedience involves both faith tugging. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Is it really you, Lord? In the Bible, we see people put out um, things to be uh, out there as tests to the Lord, you know, and they ask circumstances and stuff instead of just going in and trusting God. I mean, I've, I've um, doubted the God, God before. In the past, and you know, every time I come back around again, I say, I listened the first time, what would it have been like if you didn't have to go through this rocky road, you know, and all this vibration and all this other stuff to be able to come back to where God wanted me to be? And we all kind of have a sense of doing that, you know, it's because we got flesh, flesh on our bones. We're not there yet. We don't have a glorified body, we're on our way to it. We don't know if it's tomorrow or the next day or next year or 20 years or way down the road. 
But on this day, Moses was stirred um, to take action in defense of his country, of Israel. But on this day, Moses was stirred because God eliminated Moses' other options. He could focus a lot clearer, took all this other distraction out of the way. We all get exposed to follow Jesus. Uh, Once we commit to follow Jesus, ask forgiveness of our sins and declare him Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a key step to take. It's a key thing to do. It's the most important decision we ever make in our whole life. We all get exposed to follow Jesus. It can many times over the years, somebody would say, hey, check out the four spiritual laws. "Ah, I don't need that. I'll get that when I'm old. Well, you never know if you're going to reach your elderly, especially with a pandemic like we have now. And, you know, you put things off and then finally, you know, you make that uh, commitment to the Lord. So our preparation process begins when we when we know Jesus. Um, The key is to follow that path. And the Lord has laid out for us. This all leads up to the call of Jesus, call from Jesus to us. And just like this chapter leads into chapter 3 going to Moses, Moses is going to get the call in chapter 3 at the burning bush. And everything begins for him at that point in time, really, of what he's going to do for the nation of Israel at the burning bush. So how how long does that take? That all leads up that he's going to lead us. For some, it's a short time. Sometimes we go right into the ministry, do the things. We love it. We're there for the rest of our lives. Sometimes it's like, you got to learn this portion of it. you got to learn that portion of it. And sometimes we get discouraged because we're not getting to where we think we're going to get. we got to be patient. The younger we are, the less patience we have in the sense of, I want to get going. I want to hit the road running. The older you get, your patience is in a different way, but you know by that time the Lord has worked with you and been with you, and you know that when he puts something on your heart, then you make the move and you do those things. So don't be discouraged or anxious if it takes a while at the timing and God's timing. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. It says, Go to me, come to me, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay? You want to go to uh, Papua New Guinea to be a missionary? Do you know how much work that is to go to Papua New Guinea? It's humongous. There's 200 tribes. They all speak a different language. You could be living, for example, in Santee, and the next door is Lakeside. They don't even communicate with one another. So God's, somebody wants that, he has to prepare them for that. The languages, there's a couple of hundred languages. you know. And then when you, you have to know the culture, you have to know the language that they're speaking. It takes a long time for that to happen, but God will give you a step at a time. And then finally, I know a missionary that went to Papua New Guinea. It took him and his wife. They had to build an airfield. She was a nurse. They brought in um, things to take care of the people. They built their house. They learned the language of the people that they were there. And the people started intermingling with them when they could understand. They built a chapel. And 10 years later was the first time that they gave the address to those people on the call to come to Jesus. 10 years. Can you imagine that? You know, so you shouldn't be discouraged if you think, well, God's not using me. He will. Just listen. Be patient. And he'll give you the next step.
So after Moses takes a step of faith, a curious thing happens in verse 13 and 14. He went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other and said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Just who are you? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, which is way away. He was on the run. He was running many marathons to get to where he was going. And he sat down by a well. So Moses is now on the move. God's got him moving. God will move all of us. And you can feel it and you get excited about it. You say, hey, my path is, I know what it is. I'm on, I'm on the move. So the next installment of his preparation is now the next 40 years of his life. Didn't happen in a day. Didn't happen in a week. It happened in 40 years. At that time, he'll be 80 years old. Moses returns to the Hebrews in Camden at this point. He sees them fighting. He knows that they're going to talk about it. You know how the stories go. People talk. And, and the story that would be told in the first seat, the first row, and heard in the last seat in the last row would be totally different. I know we've all done that in school. Even in the school I went to many, many centuries ago. You know, um, at this point, Moses is stunned to hear this comment that the Hebrews don't want him. He wants to be their leader, but it's not his time. And God's going to show him that. Moses realized the Hebrews are spreading the story, and he has to get out of there. Even more disturbing to Moses than their loose lips was the Hebrews' unwillingness to be ruled by him. They looked at him like an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. Remember that song? Walk like an Egyptian. And they seemed, they even mocked him to who he was. And we're going to get people like that in our lives when we start talking about, hey, you know, the Lord's going to do such and such with me. Look, what are you, crazy? You, I know who you are. Yeah, but God really knows who I am. You know, he knows me better than myself. And, and you know, people will question things. They will look at it. They try to discourage you. But don't let that be an obstacle. Keep on listening to the Lord. So Stephen um, recounted that story. Uh, Moses was a man of power in words and deeds as he approached his 40th birthday. And it just entered his mind to go. And he, and he went. So in verse uh, 25, we get to the most important part of Stephen's testimony. Moses, this isn't Stephen. Um, Moses supposed that the Hebrew people would understand and recognize him. But they didn't. So Moses takes his action and he flees. So Moses had the right idea, but the wrong timing. It has to be right. The timing has to be there. It has to be in a place where you're ready and God is ready to, to move you. So Moses was on the right track, but he didn't understand God's entire program. Specifically, he didn't realize that another 40 years needed to be passed. It would be time to bring, before bringing Israel out of Egypt. 
he's being prepared to take a couple million people and move them out of Egypt and all the things that happen between leaving Egypt, the ten plagues that have to be put on that nation. He delivers them. And then finally Pharaoh gives in. He moves them, gets them to the Red Sea. And then what does he have to do? Pharaoh's at the end of this canyon. He can't go back. The Red Sea's in front of him. He has to move ahead. So who can he rely on at that point in time? He has to learn those things, that Jesus is going to help him open the water, and they're all going to cross. A couple million people crossing the Nile, uh, uh, the Red Sea. That's amazing. But he needs this preparation. And how is God going to prepare him? He's going to be a shepherd, taking care of sheep. Bah. Sheep. Now, why would God choose sheep? Because there's a lot of uh, similarities with sheep and people. Sheep will follow each other. If one of them goes over the cliff, you've heard this before, they all go over the cliff. If one of them gets out of line, the shepherd has to, you know, address them and discipline them. And the shepherd actually, if it happens too often, will break the leg of the sheep. It sounds cruel. This is why you see a lot of limping sheep in a flock is because that happens. The same thing happens with us and the Lord. We get out of the way. The Lord comes in and he disciplines us. And we know that we need that discipline and he helps us through it. So this is what's going on with Moses. So he's, um, he's in this job for 40 years. He's in this place for 40 years. Um, he's in a place where he has to be quiet. He's, he's taking care of sheep. He marries the, the, the man's daughter when they were at the well. And um, we're going to get to that right now. In verse uh, 15, Moses makes his escape and finally stops traveling when he reaches Midian. So in Exodus 2.16 to 2.22, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water with their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to rule their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? He was used to them coming back later, but they got help from Moses. So they said an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherd. And what is more, he even drew the water for us. Wasn't that often that men waited on women in those days. So this was kind of an unusual thing and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is that? You have left the man behind. Invite him to have something to eat. What's the motive of this man? He's got seven daughters, and they're still at home. He's looking for a husband for his daughters, or one of his daughters. And Moses happened to be doing a good deed, so he thinks, let's bring him over and break bread with him. So then uh, Moses was willing, and he came uh, to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. So he did marry one of the daughters of Raul. And then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So Moses is in Midian, which is the land northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, just south of Jordan, beyond the Dead Sea. 
while there he encounters seven daughters who came together to draw water. And as the story goes, a band of hooligan shepherds ran the women off. They were pushing the women around. But Moses decided to intervene, coming to the aid of the women. Still a learning process. The women ran to tell their father of the stranger's kindness. We all know that Moses was not a Hamite, yet they call him an Egyptian. Why did they call him an Egyptian? He was dressed like one. He had a haircut like one. He didn't have the appearance of a Hebrew. This means Moses was probably shaven like a Egyptian and had the characteristic clothing and the makeup that goes along with that. So in their excitement, the women left Moses behind. So dad tells them to find him and invite him to dinner. Smart move. You know, there's another step in the life of Moses leading him to his wife. The father's name is Raul. In the next chapter, he's called Jethro, which is his priestly title. Um, One thing leads to another, and Moses marries one of the daughters, and they have a son, Gershom, which means driven out. So for the next 40 years, Moses will serve Jethro. That's his boss. And he probably learns a lot from him. You know, he's not a he's not a pharaoh. He's a regular person. He's had sheep his life in his life. So he's watching him, and God is giving him as an example to to Moses. He's a shepherd all this time, and he's in the midst of preparation, step by step. He's departed Egypt and settled in Midian for forty years. He's found a wife, and he has a son. So he learns how to be a father and a husband. That's a key issue for a man, you know. You don't have that by osmosis. You have to learn how each step is taken along the way to be a good husband. And, you know, it takes takes a while, you know. And to be a good father, you know. A lot of times people can use their own father as an example, but sometimes that father's not there. So what do you do? You've got to use... The Bible, you've got to use the word of God. You've got to look to Jesus. Say, what characteristics did Jesus have? That's what I need to do. I need to be a man like follows the heart of Jesus Christ. So he was, le- he was learning about sheep, all the different things about sheep, protecting them from wolves and lions and all sorts of stuff that was over there at that time, protecting them from being killed. And God uses shepherds. Later on in the Bible, we'll see what's the shepherd that he uses? King David. And he makes him king of Israel. So God isn't always looking for the first one in the class that graduates number one. Sometimes he's looking for somebody down deeper in the class than that. Not that that makes that person any any worse or the person in number one any better. But... um, while he was still in Egypt, Moses receives a call from God to lead the Israelites. He got that call. He jumped ahead of it, though. Uh, Moses acted prematurely, and now the people of Israel saw no reason to, to follow him. So that leads us to verse 23. Now it comes about in the course of those many days the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, And the cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. 
So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. So God saw the son of Israel and God took notice of them. Now God is ready to act, to return Israel to the land he promised. At the end of the 80 years of Moses' life, when he's gone through all his training, all his preparation, the first 40 in Egypt with the Pharaoh, the next 40 with uh, the shepherd, God says, okay, it's time for you to go. It's time to take that step out. And in uh, chapter 3, we see the call. And the call is at the burning bush. And he gives them instructions. And Moses fights it. I'm not eloquent enough, Lord. I can't speak very well. And Lord doesn't care. That's what he wants. If he started like some people think he did, so what? He uses us where we are and where we're at at that moment. You know? Um, And then Moses talks him into getting his brother Aaron because he's more eloquent. So now Moses has a helper. And as we go through this thing, when preparation and the call is made, God will give us help. And sometimes it's other people. You know, or somebody says something or they pray for you. There's people that pray for us all the time. Thank God for that. Because without that, we'd be discouraged a lot. You know, God works through the power of his Holy Spirit speaking to us. So now it came in this course, in those days, that the king of Egypt died. And that's significant because now Moses can go back. That king, when he committed the murder, is gone. So now, and things don't get carried over very well. We saw that in the first chapter. You know, how the, the history didn't get carried so too far because of, of, of different things in those days. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. This is what's going on with the nation of Israel. And they cried out, and their cry for help became because of their bondage rose up. That's in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, and Jacob. That covenant's still going on today. It's not fully completed. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. That doesn't mean he just looked at them all of a sudden. He saw... And his heart was moved that it was the time to do what he was going to do with the nation of Israel. After 40 years, Pharaoh dies. So there's 80 years total in the life of Moses. The Pharaoh is Tutmos III who had desired to kill Moses and anyone connected to his mother, Pharaoh's daughter. With Tutmos III's passing, his son Amenhotep, The second comes to power in Egypt in 1447 B.C. At about this time, the Lord heard the groaning of the people. They were crying out. So what's the the point here? If we have that groaning, we want to be involved. Lord, please use me. Help me. Tell me what my ministry is. God will listen. And at some point in time, he will enact. But it doesn't always happen 20 minutes after you walk out of that prayer. Sometimes it does. It might be a while. And all the time he's putting the clay and taking off the 
the rough spots, and he's, and he's smoothing us out. So about that time, he heard the groanings the Lord did. So Moses' in preparation was now at a place where the Lord was going to initiate the primary call on his life uh, to lead millions of people out from slavery in Egypt in a place to a place called the Promised Land. They didn't even know what it looked like. And then it shouldn't have taken them 40 years, but it did because they disobeyed, they rebelled. They did things and they started out and they just wandered out there for 40 years. If you went directly, it wouldn't take that long. So it took Moses 80 years of preparation for the next step of the next of the call in his life. During those 80 years, he probably experienced some sadness, anxiety, discouragement, failures. We all go through this. You know, it happens. But you got to, we all have to keep our eye upon the Lord. You know, he's the initiator of all things in our life. Can't look to the side or listen to somebody or, or run away from it. Got to take it head on. Yes, Lord, what is it? What do you want? How can I do it? It's a great lesson. He also experienced some joy. Of course. Peace, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. All of that's in the Bible for us. We can go in there, and that's how God teaches us these things. Um, The understanding of what God requires for a faithful servant. And that's what he's really called all of us for, to be a faithful servant, a servant. The world looks at a servant today like, you know, they're waiting on me or whatever. A servant is the great call. When we can do something for God's people or even something for not God's people and we can help them and, and, and get them to a place or, you know, come beside them. You can volunteer, you know, to clean their house, to babysit, to, you know, somebody has a loss in their family. You come beside them. You do things like that. Um, taking care of the kids in the kids' ministry, you know. All of those things, everything that happens around Christianity happens around the community of us. We're all part of the same community. We're all part of the same church here. But there's an ultimate thing that's called Christians completely throughout the world. And I was thinking about this um, and looking around and saying, you know, I wonder what this generation is doing today for them in Jesus. What are they doing? And I happened to be on YouTube, and I started listening to all these, um, I forget what you call it, when they bring people from around the world and around the city, around the country, singing the same song, you know, whatever whatever the song is, you know, um, whatever it is, they bring it together. And then they might have a hundred people that are singing from Denmark to China to Vietnam to here. And, and it's all in unison and put together so well. You know, whatever it is. Amazing Grace is one of the songs I heard in every language. And, you know, it was so great. It was so incredible. And it said to me that God is working in the generations today. He's working in them. You know. We just need to be there and be ready to serve them and help them when they look for something. 
We need to reach out to them. We need to go to them. We need to teach them. We need to come beside them. We need to encourage them so that they will, you know, it's great to see. Because only we hear about the bad things, you know, but there's so many good things going on. And it's encouraging and it's really thrilling. It's exciting. So be patient when the Lord is teaching, directing, and forming us for his glory. It's all for his glory. It's not for us. It's not for any of us. Everything that happens that we do for the Lord is for his glory so that he will be glorified, not us. And it doesn't matter what it is. You rescue somebody from a car crash. You give them CPR. You treat their wounds. That's all for God. You know, look at the people that go out and serve God today. Look at the people in the nursing homes. $14 an hour. And they put their life on the line for people in nursing homes because of the COVID. You know why they do it? Because they're led to do it. And they want to do it. And that's what they like. And somebody said, well, that's only cost, it only charges $14 an hour for this. So what? If it's free, it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing it for the Lord. So as long as we, uh, the subsequent call on our life after this preparation is our lives in service to those he deems us to bring the word to, bring it out there. It's bring it beyond these walls. Bring it on the street corner. I know Nate and his friends get on a PB every Saturday night. He's got a great story every Saturday for us. It's incredible. And you know Nate. Nate has great stories to begin with, right? And, they, and he talks about things that happen down there. And it's all the younger generations that are out there doing it. It's really inspiring. So he deems us to bring his word in his time and in his selection of where that will be. That's all we got to remember. That's all we got to do. So we have to follow. So that completes chapter two. Chapter three will be about the um, the burning bush and the actual call and the sequence forward of seeing what this preparation did for Moses to take a huge nation. Unheard of. We don't hear stories like this today. They were there. He was prepared. Did he get to, Yeah, he got discouraged sometimes. But he stood up. How many times in the, in the book of Exodus do we see him doing intercessory prayer? All the time. So when we see something in the church, we see something outside, we see something in our family, go right to intercessory prayer. And all of a sudden, three days later, or a week later, or a month later, it happens to somebody in your family. There's a word said, and it catches your attention because that's what you were praying for a while back. And it's like, wow, thank you, Lord, you're there. Thank you so much for listening to our prayers. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you that you gave us a great example in Moses. Just a tremendous leader, Lord, and a um, great example of faith and trust. There's so many examples of that in the Bible today. So we pray today, Lord, that we would continue to serve you, that we would love you beyond anything we've ever loved you before. And we just pray for your presence in our lives and uh, help us with our preparation each day to know what it is that you require us in that day. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.